Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. Don Quixote is a fictional character made famous by the Spanish author Miguel de Cervantes. This Spanish epic novel of the early 1600s went on to be read around the world in Spanish and most other languages, making its author one of the most read writers in human history. The story's influence on North American literature is immeasurable. Such admiration is displayed by a life-size statue of Don Quixote de la Mancha and his faithful sidekick Sancho Panza that sits at the bottom of a rock cliff in Guadalajara, Mexico. Let's join Not Just the Tudors podcast to explore Miguel de Cervantes' life and the world he lived in, how his influences converged in his work, and how Don Quixote radically changed the nature of literature and created a new way of viewing the world, including North America. Born in 1547, Spanish writer Miguel de Cervantes lived much of his life in hardship. He served in the Spanish Navy from the age of 23, was wounded in battle, and after five years of service, was captured by pirates who held him, hoping for ransom, for five years. He earned his living not as an author, but as a soldier, accountant, and tax collector. In 1605, at 58 years old, Cervantes would see the first part of his masterwork, the ingenious gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha, published. Along with its second part, published in 1615, the novel would become a near-instant success. Inspiring music by Strauss, art by Picasso, as well as countless other writers from Mark Twain to Charles Dickens, Gustave Flaubert to Tennessee Williams, Vladimir Nobokov to Salman Rushdie, Don Quixote has been translated into more than 50 languages and is the best-selling non-religious text of all time. Joining me today is William Eggington, author, philosopher, literary scholar and professor at Johns Hopkins University. His book, The Man Who Invented Fiction, takes us behind the life of the author to discover the inspiration, impact and legacy of this extraordinary 17th century novel. This is the book we'll be discussing today, but William Eggington is also the author of What Would Cervantes Do? This is a fascinating look at the first ever novel. Professor Eggington, for those who haven't read it, could you perhaps start by telling us a little bit about the story of Don Quixote? The story of Don Quixote, published in 1605 originally, is about a man who is of a particular class in Spanish society at the time, or really a state. Namely, he is what's called an Hidalgo, literally a son of someone or a son of something. So he has some vestiges of nobility in his blood, but his family has run completely out of money and his estate is largely abandoned. And this has been, according to what we learn in the first page, because he has fallen into the habit of buying way too many books and reading reading them, consuming them avidly. And they all tend to be books of the same kind, which is books about knights errant and damsels in distress and giants and monsters and the like. And he's completely convinced himself, as Cervantes says, his brain is dried out from so much reading, that not only are all these stories true, but that he himself is destined to be the next great knight errant who will enter onto the scene in modern day Spain and right wrongs, avenge bad actors and turn the world back into its proper form. 
And so he begins a series of adventures, and Cervantes just has the greatest fun spinning these out over many chapters, and in fact, soon adds a sidekick, famously Sancho Panza, physically very much the opposite of Quixote, who's gaunt and tall, and Sancho Panza, who's rotund and small. And this odd couple go on a road journey together over the course of many chapters, and ultimately over the course of two books, because Cervantes will come back 10 years later and write, in some ways, even more successful second part of the story. Why do you think it captured the imagination so quickly? The question is a very good one. Why this particular book and why at this particular time? It became one of the first, not the absolute first, but one of the first genuine international bestsellers. It was pirated immediately, so they had to deal with pirated copies, just like we do with music, for example, today, and books, of course. It was translated into a variety of languages. These famous characters were appearing in processions in different countries around the world, and it made it across the Atlantic right away during the new trade and, of course, colonialism that the Spaniards established. The book is extraordinarily funny, and Cervantes had really developed a particularly caustic wit. He was far from the first to do it. He was one who combined this satirical voice. In fact, philosophers many years later would say that he invented a particular and new modern form of irony. He sewed it into an image of the world that was completely new. And what is completely new about it is that there's a high form of realism. These extremely unrealistic, it would seem to us, characters march about a world that readers of the time, really they could be brushing shoulders with themselves, people that they would recognize, not just character types, but real detailed, rich characters that they would recognize from their own towns, from their own city squares. The other thing is Cervantes was able to flavor all of that rich characterization in his writing with unbelievable loads of personal experience. He had traveled the world, he knew a variety of languages, he fought in wars, he was a genuine war hero. In fact, he had suffered extraordinary disappointments. He'd lived in captivity for five years in Northern Africa. He had seen different cultures and experienced the way that people tend to demonize each other. And towards the end of his life, which is when he would have this extraordinary career, burst, he was producing books that were informed by, fueled by all of that extraordinary experience. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So you've given us already, therefore, a sense of context, both in Cervantes' own life at the time when he wrote it. But more broadly, does the novel speak to the political and cultural climate of Spain at the time? Very much does. And part of the reason is in part, it's a biography of his life. It's in part an explanation of all the work that he did and why it's so important and continues to be so important in the modern day. But it's also an interpretation of that work. And by way of that explanation of why is it so powerful? Why do we need it today? And why did I call somewhat hyperbolically? Cervantes is the man who invented fiction. And 
Part of the reason why is that I consider what we understand to be fiction today, which is a form of interaction with the world where we understand that what we're receiving is not technically true, and yet at the same time, we treat it as if it were true for a certain amount of time, and that this requires a sort of internal division that we modern readers have become very good at. That all of this, in fact, took place at this particular moment in time precisely because of a series of geopolitical changes that Cervantes was very much at the heart of. So he's born in the middle of the 16th century. It's the middle of the time that historians have referred to as a period of extraordinary social political expansion, in particular in this country, in Spain. Spain was going from a relative backwater, a border land with a different empire, to becoming in some ways and at times by certain measures the largest empire the world had or has ever seen, expanding everywhere around the globe. Now, very quickly overextending itself, very quickly falling into dead and repeated bankruptcies. But what Cervantes was on the cusp of or on the front lines of was a new series of, if you will, cultural wars, not just actual wars that he was part of, but cultural wars where an expanding metropolis was encountering these different cultures, encountering its own peripheries and edges and trying to deal with them in quite, we would say today, insidious ways through demonization of others, through dealing with its own internal problems of coherence by looking for scapegoats within its own society, religious, ethnic, even proto-racial scapegoats. And Cervantes was extraordinarily prescient in understanding how this kind of scapegoating is both damaging to one's own and to others' humanities and how it's functioning in a very cynical way to sew together a society around really acts of cultural violence. At the beginning of his life, he was, from the perspective of his own states and religions, ideologies, he was an idealist. He believed in everything that the Inquisition and the Spanish crown, the papacy ultimately, in whose forces he went to war for, told him. And certainly he believed himself a fervent Catholic until the end of his days. And yet at the same time, here he was believing as hard as he could, risking his life for these ideological movements, and then coming back and finding one after another time he's being personally disappointed, he's being betrayed by the values that he upholds. And instead of just becoming bitter and incorporating all of these disappointments into his own way of living, he turned them into an art of writing, where he essentially wrote books about the fundamental differences between how we see the world and what the world brings back to us. That's at the heart of his greatest book, but it's really at the heart of all of his books. And it's about disappointment. The word for that is desengaño in Spanish, which has wonderful richness of meanings. Desengaño means disappointment, but it also means disillusionment. So it's finding truth in that disappointment and also finding moments of comedy, deep searing comedy in it as well. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, 
the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calatrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calatrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.